Dr. Bloom, it sure is a privilege and an honor for us to be here today. Uh, Brother Gamble did ask me if I could be with him this morning, and I said, Brother, I'm already scheduled to be with Brother Andy Bloom, and he said, oh, man. But I know you guys enjoy Brother Gamble. He and his wife are wonderful folks, and I thank the Lord for them. That is where we attend church when we happen to be home, which is not very often. We spend about 300 days a year on the road, and the purpose of that is so that we can reach our U.S. military with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We found that when uh, military personnel are stationed overseas, the window of opportunity is given for folks because suddenly when someone's stationed overseas, eternity becomes a reality or the possibility of eternity is a reality. When you talk to a 17, 18 year old here in the United States, they're walking down the streets, uh, just going about their business, playing their Xbox, hanging out with their friends, playing a game of pickup ball, wherever they may be. Oftentimes you ask them where they will spend eternity and they just look at you and sometimes they will scoff at you. But let me tell you, you're standing outside a Marine Corps base in Okinawa, Japan, and they walk out that, that man gate there at, at Camp Hansen, and they step into the street and you greet them there and you say, do you know for sure where you would spend eternity? Let me tell you, there's a pause in their step because they realize the next place that they may go may be a place that they do not return home from. The opportunities that were given with military ministry are simply to say the God of heaven loves you, the God of heaven knows who you are, and the God of heaven has made a way for you to know for sure that you're going to heaven. Several years ago I was pastoring in the Fort Campbell area, and that's my hometown, my home church, and pastored there for over 10 years. I had a young man that just returned from a lengthy deployment to Afghanistan. He was a Puerto Rican man, and my wife and I were missionaries in South America, so we both speak, well, I would say fluently, but the more you learn a language, the more you realize fluency just seems to be out there somewhere. You can't seem to attain it. But this young man returned from the deployment, and while he was gone, his wife and his four children had been attending our church, and all four of his children and his wife had trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. When Helmus returned from deployment, I didn't realize he was back. I knew he was coming, but he came in on Thursday, and on Saturday morning we had a men's prayer breakfast, and he, he came to the men's prayer breakfast, and I was kind of amazed because when he came in, he was carrying this great big Bible that had tabs identifying all the books of the Bible, and it was a well-worn Bible and well-worn tabs. Well, I kind of made my way over close to Helmus, and most of our men were trying to get to know him that day, and um, uh, so many active duty and former uh, and veterans in our church, and they were all trying to get to know him, realizing he was just back from deployment. So I couldn't get very close to him until, until it was time to dismiss, and I, I was walking him out to his car, and I'm looking at his Bible, and I said, Helmus, where did you get that Bible? And he told me, well, I got it from a church in Macon, Georgia some time ago, and I said, well, tell me, how long have you been a Christian? And he stopped where he, when he was walking, he stopped and he turned to me and he said, I wish someone would tell me how to be a Christian. I said, brother, you came to the right place, amen. I took him into my office and I said, Helmus, let's take your Bible. I said, I want you to turn to some pages and I gave him some verses of scripture to turn to and I wanted him to read them purposely. But when he opened his Bible, it was amazing to me and this is the providence of God. He opened his Bible and I happened to notice that on one side was the Spanish Bible and then on the other column was the King James. And I said, Helmus, I said, um, I said, I want you to read the scriptures in Spanish. And I want you to read them out loud. And he kind of looked at me. I mean, we're in the United States. But here's the reason why I did this. Because I wanted the Lord to be able to speak to him in his heart language. 
Uh, he was a citizen of the U.S. He was in the army. I understand that. But his heart language was still Spanish. And he began to read the verses. And I saw the Holy Spirit began to work on his heart. And we got down to the point where I said, Elvis, what do you think you need to do today? And he said, I think I need to get saved. I said, well, I agree. Amen. I said, well, Helmus, this is what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to tell the Lord what's on your heart. And I could see him sort of stumble, and his English was very good, but I, I could see him, it's different when you're about to pray. And I said, Helmus, pray in Spanish. And he said, really? I said, God actually speaks Spanish, Helmus. <laughs> and he kind of chuckled, like, duh, yeah, I understand that. And he, he bowed his head and he prayed the most wonderful prayer as he asked the Lord to come into his heart and forgive him of his sins. You know, I could tell the story over and over and over again. Over time, they had two more children. Those children, uh, one, the youngest one hasn't trusted Christ. But sometime later, they were with us for almost seven years at Fort Campbell. And now he's in El Paso, Texas, still active duty. He's the chief warrant officer. But his oldest son, Christian, who's now serving in the Navy in Virginia Beach, I just saw him a few weeks ago. Christian wrote me a letter when they left and were transferred to Alaska. And he wrote me a letter and he said, Pastor, he said, I just want to thank you for telling us about Jesus because now my whole family are Christians. Amen. You know, as we think about that this morning, there are many that sit in our churches. There are many that are in the cubicles adjacent to us. There are many in our neighborhoods. And if you're anything like Zephyr Hills, Florida, where my wife's parents reside in the winter, uh, in the mobile home park, there are neighbors all around you who would never let anyone tell them about Christ where they lived before. But now God has placed them right next to you and given you an opportunity to introduce Jesus to them. I think about Yokosuka, Japan, where we have a church. Yokosuka Baptist Church has been there for a number of years. And this morning when I woke up, I was looking at uh, their Facebook posts on their page where the pastor, Brother Stu Jellison, who's retired Air Force, big barrel-chested man with a walrus mustache. I loved it going to Okinawa when he was working with the Marines there. But he's up at Yokosuka now, and he had a post on, and he had two young men, young sailors that trusted Christ this morning, and three young ladies that walked the aisle. We're talking about a small church there in Yokosuka, Japan. But folks are still needing to hear the gospel and they're still responding to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and his call for repentance. This morning we saw at the close of one of the videos, I didn't know it would be there, we saw Psalm 33 in verse number 12. If you'll turn there with me very quickly, I'd like to read this verse. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. And we understand that he's speaking of the nation of Israel here, but we understand the overriding principle here is that a nation that honors God is in turn honored by the Lord. And we thank the Lord for that. We thank the Lord as we've seen already today and as we've heard that we'll hear more of tonight, the founding principles that were laid out for us to establish a nation who feared God, who honored God and wanted to follow God. You say, what's happened to America? Well, I'll tell you what's happened to America. Sin has happened to America. Self-righteousness has happened to America. We've tried to put God out of our lives. We tried to take him out of his place of authority. And we're suffering the consequences of those actions. But I'm not here to preach on judgment this morning. I want to preach on hope because the hope that we have is the same hope that we've always had. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As we look at this particular chapter, I was studying over this this week. We've been in Camp BIMI, which is Camp BIMI, for missionary recruits or potential recruits all week long. And my wife and I have been dorm parents all week. So if we have circles under our eyes, please understand we've been going from five in the morning till midnight every day this week. And uh, we thank you for the accommodations last night. They were quite restful. And I'm looking forward to that nap this afternoon. Amen. But. Before that, as I was thinking this week about this message and about really the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 33 really lays out for us how important God should be in our life. Why he should be considered our supreme authority. He is our supreme authority. Let me just say that. It's an established fact. Whether or not we recognize him as that authority or not, he is still in his position. He is our one and only potentate, and we should recognize him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But some things that I think we need to understand, as I explained to Helmus that day in my office there at Fort Campbell, one of the things that we need to understand is that God sees all things. You know, we talk about His omnipresence, God's ability to be everywhere at the same time. I'm glad the devil doesn't have that ability, amen? But I'm glad that God is everywhere all the time. Just think about the accountability that brings to our lives, just knowing that God sees everything. What do I mean here? Let's look at verse number 12, or verse number 13. The Lord looketh from heaven, He beholdeth, what's that next word? All the sons of men. There is no one who can hide from the gaze of our Lord. Amen. He sees the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And I will say to you this morning, even though our actions are important, the Lord is looking on the thoughts and the intents of my heart because I will act out what I have already been pondering in my heart. You know, when I think about the gaze of the Lord, you see there in verse number 14, from the place of His habitation, which simply means His dwelling place in the third heaven, He looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. When we think about this, it leads us to a dilemma. What is that dilemma? He begins talking about it in verse number 16. He said, There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. You know, it, in, as men, we tend to think that there is, there is our strength is something that we can hold on to. It's our strength that will get us through. This verse reminds us that we are powerless against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He that gazes down from the heavens, he looks upon the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And it doesn't matter our physical stature. It doesn't matter our physical strength. It doesn't matter our honor and our integrity. We all stand in need of salvation that only comes from the Lord. The Bible very plainly tells us in the book of Romans, for all have sinned. That's the third time we've heard that word all in just the last few moments. We've seen it twice in the passage here, but again in Romans we see that everyone stands under the wage or the penalty of our sin. I love teaching junior church and from time to time I don't have the energy I used to have. But I used to run all over the auditorium teaching junior church, and I'd love getting to the point where you wanted to ask them about sin. You'd ask a young person, have you ever sinned? And they would go, no. And then you start naming off things that small children might do that are against the rules. Have you ever bit your sister? 
How does he know that? I mean, you can see it in their head. How does this man know that? How many of you have ever taken a cookie when mom told you not to? And you feel the weight of the sin. The purpose for doing that is so that even a child can understand when they've done something wrong. When you say to an adult, let me tell you, when you say, have you ever done anything that would be considered sin against God? You can see it in the eyes of an adult because every adult that's honest with himself would say, oh, I've done plenty. But you know, I'm glad the story doesn't end there. I'm glad the story is we are all under condemnation because of our sin, but... That word but, the hope that we have. You understand that Jesus Christ came to this world not because he wanted to come down and visit a VRBO or go on vacation. He didn't come down here because he thought Ocala would be a wonderful place. He didn't come to Jerusalem because it's just a wonderful place and a great group of people. He came for one purpose. He lived in heaven. We had nothing to offer him. He came for one purpose, and that was because his father promised a substitutionary atonement for our sins. In other words, there had to be a payment made so that you and I could have forgiveness for our sins without having to pay it ourselves. When the Lord Jesus came to this earth, my friend, he suffered and he bled and died for you and I. I was sitting in a restaurant one day with a young couple they had come to our, our town. We had in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is adjacent to Fort Campbell, there's a university there called Austin Peay State University. And this young couple had come and she worked in the uh, administration and he was one of the professors there in the uh, physical fitness department there at Austin Peay. And they had been in our church for a couple of months and my wife and I took them out for dinner and I had already heard a bit of her testimony. They had already been through our uh, newcomers class at our church and where I give a clear presentation of the gospel and who our church is and what we believe. And I'm sitting there and I looked over at his wife and I caught her eye in the restaurant and I said, tell me when you got saved. Man, a big old tear started rolling down her cheek, and she started telling me about her granddaddy that pastored a church over in North Carolina, and how she grew up in that church, and at a young age, she had trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And I'm watching, Pastor, you've done this before, I'm watching him as he knows her story's coming to a close, her testimony's coming to a close, he's starting to fidget. I knew why he was fidgeting. But she got all done, and I turned my eyes from her to him, and he said, don't ask me, I don't have a testimony. I'm Catholic. Well, I don't have anything against Catholics. As a matter of fact, most of my wife's family are still Catholic today. But, and we worked with Catholics in, in, in South America for a long time. But this is what I said to him. I said, I'm actually glad you're a Catholic. Now, that doesn't get said very often in an independent Baptist church. I said, here's why I'm glad. And I hope you listen to me. Because there are people all around us that have bits of truth, but they don't have the whole truth and they don't have understanding. And I said, I, you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, and her name was Mary. He said, yeah, I do believe that. And I started naming off things. I said, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. You believe that God honored his sacrifice, and now he's up in heaven. He said, yeah, I believe all those things. And I just simply said, and yet you do not know how those things will get you to heaven. And this is what he did. He went, that's exactly right. Talk about frustration to grow up in a, in a setting where you're not giving an understanding of how to know for sure that you're going to heaven. 
You know, my friend, we live in a nation that's free because of the principles that it was founded upon. We live in a nation that's been blessed by God because of the principles that we believe. And yet there are many that live among us that do not understand all of the things that they've heard about all of their life. They don't understand how it could possibly get them to heaven. And I simply said to him, you just need to believe. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You know what he did? He bowed his head there at the table in that little restaurant. I don't even remember where we were or what we were eating. But I remember when Tim bowed his head and he poured out his heart before God and he said, God, would you forgive me for my sins? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I want to live for him forever. You know, my friend, that's what it's all about. When I think about salvation, somebody said, could it be that simple? Well, I'm glad it is because it was simple enough I could understand it. Several years ago, my best friend in high school who is now with the Lord, he died of pancreatic cancer a few years ago. He and I and his youngest brother, or his middle brother, had this harebrained idea, which we often did in high school, that we were going to swim across the river there in Clarksville, Tennessee. It didn't look very far when you were standing on the bank. But when you get in the water, we didn't realize the current was running at about four miles an hour. And suddenly the distance almost doubled in crossing the river. And we were good swimmers. We were swimming all the time. And we got to the other bank, and Chris was just ahead of me. And we kind of collapsed on the buddy bank thinking, wow, now we got to go back because the car's over there. When we looked back across, there was Dan, Chris's middle brother. He was 12 years of age. He was following us across the river but he wasn't going to make it. You could see his head going down there in the middle of the river, and again the current's moving at four miles an hour, and Chris and I both dove right back in the river, didn't even think twice about it, mostly because we knew our moms were going to kill us. But we made it back to Dan, and he and I were taking turns, holding Dan above the water. He was completely exhausted. He couldn't swim at all. He was just limp. While one was swimming with Dan, trying to get back to the side that we started on where the car was, the other one was trying to flag down a fisherman who was some ways down the river, just sitting in a little V-hold fishing boat with a little outboard motor. We were waving. I'll never forget when finally we caught his, his gaze and we looked at him and, and he saw us and he saw our dilemma. And he, I'll never forget him reaching back and pulling that rope and hearing that outboard motor as it began to spin up. And he made his way up against the current at a little fishing boat and he pulled up next to us. And I'll never forget, he didn't say a word. He simply cut the motor, he coasted up next to us and he reached out of the front of that V-hole boat and he extended that hand and one by one he pulled us into that boat. Now he had plenty to say once we got in the boat. <laughs> and we deserved all of it and none of us told our mothers about it for about 30 years. <laughs> My mom's in heaven now so I think she knows it all. <laughs> Here's the thing I liken that story to. I liken that story to that day that I took Helmus in my office and I opened the Word of God and he saw for the first time his need of salvation. And he recognized that the Lord was reaching down to him and offering to bring him into the safety of that boat. I think about that young man there on the streets in Okinawa that came into the church when we were there that he didn't know what he was doing. It was just something to do. He came into the church and he trusted Christ. What did he do? He took that extended hand of the Lord Jesus Christ as he pulled him into the safety of the boat. I think of so many of us that are here today, we've taken that hand. 
we've been pulled into safety. And yet there's, there are others who I believe that are here today that have never understood that God loved them because they're still trying to figure out how could God possibly love me with all that I've done. My friend, he does love you. And he knows that you can't get to heaven on your own. He knows that you need him. And my friend, he cares deeply about you. He cares enough about you to have this church so that you can come in this church and hear the truth of the Word of God. He cares enough about you to have me come down from Chattanooga, Tennessee to preach the gospel to you this morning because he wants you to know. Last night in the hotel at about 10 o'clock, I was on the phone with a, a man that I'd witnessed to for many years. Last year, I, I couldn't get through to him. He didn't want to talk about the Lord. But last year, the Lord said, Brian, I want you to call Stan. That wasn't out of the ordinary for me. I, anytime the Lord brought him to mind, I'd send him a text or call him. But that particular time, it was, I could tell the urgency, Brian, call Stan. So I called him. I left him a message. I said, Stan, I want you to, God brought you to my mind today while I was driving down the road. God wants you to know that he loves you, and so do I. And I hung up. As soon as I hung up the phone, I was thinking, okay, I've done what God wants me to do. But then the Lord said, now text him. So I think I pulled off the road like a good Christian should do when we're texting, amen. I, I honestly don't recall, but I sent him a text and left him a text that said the same thing. Stan, God loves you, and he wanted me to tell you that today. About an hour later, I got a, I got a phone call from Stan. He didn't sound right. His speech was kind of slurred. I didn't know if, what was going on, but suddenly he said, what do you mean God loves me? Stan's never even, he's never one time talked about God with me. I've talked about God with him, but he's never responded. I said, what's going on? He said, do you know where I am? I said, I have no idea, Stan. He said, when you sent that text, when you called me and left that voicemail, I had a rope around my neck and I was taking my life. I was hanging from a hook in the bathroom. I was already unconscious. He said, and the hook came out of the wall and I fell to the floor and my girlfriend brought me to She's a nurse, and when she brought me to, I looked at my phone, and it said, Stan, God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. He said, what do you mean God loves me? Last night, Stan's gotten saved, by the way. Married his girlfriend. He's still working on the sanctification part. But as a 50-year-old man, sometimes that takes some time. Last night, he was talking to me, and he said, he said, Brian, I said, I, I, I call you my pastor because that's who you are to me. I said, well, you never even came to my church when I was a pastor. He said, well, that's all right. He said, anybody that's got premonition. I said, no, it's not premonition. I said, I'm in touch with the one that cares deeply about you, Stan. And I said, in that particular day, he gave me the honor of telling you how much he cares about you. Amen. He said, I've been angry at God. He said, you think that's wrong? I said, I don't think I need to answer that question, Stan. Some things going on in his life. He found out I'm going to actually be preaching in my home church next Sunday. He said, I'll be there. I said, can my wife and I take you and your wife out to dinner because she's not saved? He said, yeah, tell me what night we can do that. I said, you pick the night next weekend and we'll go out. You know what? It is an honor and a privilege to meet folks who finally realize they can't get to heaven on their own and introduce them to the only one who's reaching out to bring them into the safety of the fold. I want to ask you this question in closing this morning. 
Has anyone ever told you that God loves you? Has anyone ever told you that Christ died? And if there was no one else on the face of the earth, he would have had to die for your sins. Has anyone ever told you that salvation is a free gift and all you have to do is accept it? All you have to do is believe. My friend, if you're here this morning, and and if I were to say, how many of you know for sure that you're going to heaven? How many of you in your heart right now would say, Brother Brian, I'm not 100% sure? Then my friend, today's the day to get that settled. For me, it was 19 years of age in Jacksonville, Florida. I'll never forget it because that day that I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, let me tell you, the doubt left the building. The hope of heaven, and instead of the fear of hell, the hope of heaven replaced that fear in my heart of hearts. And if I were to have died yesterday on I-75, which could have been very likely, <laughs> this morning I know for a fact that I would have been in heaven. My friend, if you don't know that, then the Lord's reaching out to you today. He's sending that text to your heart through his messenger today that he loves you and that he cares about you and that he wants you to be saved. Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment?